Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. And today we decided to get our good friend Ben Reynolds back on the podcast to join us because he was so good last week. So welcome back, Ben. Hey, it's good to be back with you guys again. (laughs) Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, we decided that... um, because today is May the 4th, so may the 4th be with you all, and um, we decided what better day to talk about the cosmic conflict, right? Star Wars, <laughs> huh? 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 <laughs> that, good, good segue, Josh. I like that. I like that. Thanks. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be May 4th when people are listening, but it's May 4th, the day that we're recording this. So, so you guys can just pretend that this episode release day is an extended May the 4th. May the 4th week. Hmm. Star Wars week. I don't know. Nice. Well, I think it'll release on May the 6th, which is like anti-Star Wars because it's like the Sith. Oh, I've never heard of that. There you go. It's not a popular thing. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Geeks like me know about it. So that's. But I would like to point out that this is kind of what happens every time we have Ben on the podcast. We inevitably say, hey, what do you want to talk about? And then we talk about whatever subject we pick. And then after we have that conversation... Uh, we always start talking about other things and then we go, oh, we really should have you back on for that and that and that and that. And And then inevitably it just never happens. But this time we're actually making good on our comments and our promises. And so we're getting Ben back again, which I think is probably going to make you the most recurring guest. So I'm just happy about it. Do I get a prize for that? We'll, We'll send you something in the mail. (laughs) An e gift. (laughs) E gift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. So, before we get into it, of course, we need to do the question of the week. Uh, now, I was my first instinct was to do a Star Wars related question, but I've decided against my better judgment to not do that. But last oh. year was a very major, um, you know, there was a very, very major Star Wars release. It was the final movie in the Skywalker saga. So, it's come to an end, which is very sad, episode nine. Um, but I thought I would ask for you guys, what was the most significant movie you, you saw in 2019? Ooh. Hmm. I don't know how many movies you guys have watched, so feel free to um, substitute that with something if you need to, but well, yeah. can I, can I, can I say if, is it a movie, if, if it's a movie that came out in 2019, but I didn't get to it till 2020, is that okay? Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. Actually, sure. no, I, did, I think I did watch it in 2019 because... Um, we could just say the of... most significant film over the past year and a bit. I'm sorry, I always I always jump into your question of the week and I try to change it. I'm sorry about you that. You do, but that's all right. <laughs> that's why we keep doing it. It's fun. <laughs> okay, the, the, movie, the most significant movie of 2019 for me was Knives Out. Mm, I haven't seen it. Okay. All right. Ryan Johnson, right? Who directed that? Yes, exactly. Also directed Star Wars Episode so, 8. <laughs> there's the Star Wars tie-in. I love it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah. Um, starring Daniel Craig. Um, what's, his, what's his name? Uh, Captain America. Chris Evans. Um, and a bunch of other people. Um, and it was 
a really, really great murder mystery uh, movie. It was it was great. So Christopher Plummer is a a an elderly uh, sort of murder mystery writer who gets murdered, and the whole plot is centers around him and his wealthy family and um, who done it. And it's just a really good. It's a really great movie, and it's a great movie if you've ever imagined what Daniel Craig would sound like with a Southern American accent. Because he plays he plays a Southern American detective, which is amazing. It's just amazing. Cool. So, yeah. That's nice pretty random. Stuff. But I've never yeah. wondered about his him having a Southern accent, but now I guess I am. <laughs> it's the sort of movie that just comes out of nowhere and you don't expect it to be, like, amazing, but it ends up being amazing. So, yep. it's a beautiful thing. Cool. What about you, Ben? Movie yeah, or film, I, TV show? I'm, I'm trying to think because, um, you know, we, we had an infant. Well, we have an infant at home. So, last year True. we didn't. I, I can't even remember if we got to watch any movies. Um, <laughs> and if we did, whether we even finished them or not. <laughs> um, so, I can I cheat a little bit and, and include this year? Sure. Because uh, yeah, there, was, there was one that I watched from start to finish this year. Um, and, and it was the film that they did on Bruce McLaren. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a petrol head, but, but it was a really well done film with a lot of original footage and stuff um, from his life and uh, just incredibly inspiring. The, the guy was, I think, 32 when he died. He was um, mm. test driving um, one of his new cars. Oh. And uh, I'm thinking, man, that's, that's like the same age as me. And yet within a space of 10 years, he became the youngest Formula One driver ever. Wow. Uh, Formula One winner, I should say. And um, just all kinds of other things, you know, starting his own McLaren um, car company, which has now obviously gone on to become one of the, the greats um, of all the, the, the motor racing companies. Um, so yeah, that, that was a cool movie that I enjoyed. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is cool. I honestly know nothing about about him or his life, so that was pretty interesting to me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's a fellow Kiwi, so there's a bit of a vested interest there as well. Makes sense. Mm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, yeah, for me, I'm going to say... I, I hate to say it, it wasn't the best film that I watched, but it definitely was the most significant, and that for me was Star Wars Episode Nine because I'm big on Star Wars, so for me, it was just, you know, the end of a big thing that I've been watching since I was a little kid, so, yeah, um, mixed feelings about the ending, but that's alright, it's, it, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm excited to see what they do next, but sad to see something that I really, uh, really have cherished and sort of, have, like, walked along with you know, since I was a little kid. Um, mm. Yeah, see all that come to a close. So, yeah. Anyway, that was definitely the most significant one for me. Maybe we should do another episode on... Uh, we talked about this. <laughs> we did no. an episode on The on the Last Jedi. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what how our content flows. <laughs> uh. It could be our second most unpopular episode of all time. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, let's uh let's carry on to um to the the other cosmic conflict we're talking about today, and that is the conflict cosmic, of course, found in the Bible. Um, you know, if you've grown up in Adventist circles, you might have heard to it referred to as the Great Controversy or Great Controversy, as our lecturer used to say, and I never got used to it. To be honest, every so, time he said it, I found it strange. It's a controversial pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's just started hammering down rain outside, so you guys might get a little bit of nice ambient rain noise. Ooh, um, 
from where I'm recording, just letting you know. So if you can hear something, nothing wrong with your speakers. It's pure, it's pure rain smashing against my window. So it's I'm just letting you all know. Pure New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's continue on. Um. So yeah, Ben, if we just hand it over to you, where do you want to start when we're when we're unpacking this? Yeah, I think it comes back to something that we've touched on in another podcast and, and that comes down to your worldview. So what kind of worldview do you have? Um, and, uh, you know, it's um, one of the, the things that, that's effective life um, or, or that is, is kind of a part of just um, everyday logic is that things are, are normally what they seem to be on the one hand and things are not what they seem to be on the other. Um, and so when we look at our world today, we see that the world looks like a war zone, um, which is telling us that maybe we are in a war zone. Um, but then it's a kind of war that, that perhaps is not as obvious on the surface uh, as behind the scenes. And so from, from a biblical perspective, um, it's quite clear that there is some kind of spiritual war that's going on um, behind the scenes. Um for many people, though, um, in our culture, we, we, they just react against that because we have a very naturalistic, um, secular scientific worldview which denies mm. um, the kind of supernatural. And if you believe in Satan and angels and other things like that, then, you know, you, you're just an ignorant person. Yeah. Um, you know, they just think this is made up stuff, just fairy tales. Right. Do you think this yeah. um, this biblical worldview of uh, cosmic conflict or or a war zone, is that something that's New Testament or was that something that was part of the the DNA early on as far as the Jewish Torah and the and, and the and the books of the Jewish scriptures are concerned? Yeah, it's something that uh, is clearly developed throughout scripture. Uh, you, you have kind of hints of it here and there in the Old Testament. Um, uh, they're, they're talking in, in similar languages as surrounding cultures about these mythological creatures uh, who are in opposition to God, whether it's Leviathan or Behemoth or the, these other creatures um, that, that are clearly mythological, but they're pointing to a deeper reality. Um, myth always attempts to explain something uh, that, that we experience existentially. So um, you, you do see hints of it throughout the Old Testament, but it's, it's most fully developed in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels with Jesus. Um, because when Jesus is going around, he's talking about the kingdom that he's come to bring in advance, uh, which is overeating against the, the kingdoms of this world or the kingdoms of darkness. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the pinnacle of, of the, this whole cosmic conflict worldview comes in the book of revelation right at the end of scripture which kind of summarizes everything else uh, that the bible has to say about it mm. so if i'm if i'm like sorry josh you go no 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 it's good good i was gonna say um if if i was to read like for instance genesis 1 you know and then i'm reading in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and then we have this whole idea of god you know drawing out land and light from from darkness you're talking about the mythological aspect. Is that is that sort of where that first begins? If, if you're reading it in that um, ancient uh, context, then yeah, you see God bringing order out of chaos, um, and and other uh, cultures that, that were contemporary at that time. You know, they saw all of these other gods who were involved. Um, you know, the god of the sea and the god of the land and the god of the sun, moon, and stars and all that kind of thing. 
Um, yeah, whereas here in, in Genesis 1, you have uh, God himself who is over and above all of those things. He's actually the creator of all those things, uh, and he brings order to that chaos. Uh, it's interesting in Genesis 1, um, when, when it talks about on day four, um, the creation of, of the sun, moon, and stars, uh, it doesn't actually use the names, the Hebrew names for uh, the sun and the moon. Um, because those names are associated with the other pagan gods. And so if you read Genesis 1 carefully, it says, you know, and God created the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Um, basically saying, you know, God created these things. You don't have to fear them. They're not, you know, gods that you need to, to fear. And I think um, one of the other days of creation uh, that talks about him creating the sea monsters, you know, which again is an allusion to, to these other things that people were quite fearful of. Yeah, so right from the opening page of scripture, there's already this hint that there are opposing forces that are at work. There are other gods that exist. That worldview is just assumed, um, and, and then God Himself is presented in in that context. Wow, that's so cool. I never, I you know, like there's so many random things you pick up about Genesis one, but I've never, I've never heard that before. Like that to me is super interesting. That it's such a subtle hint of don't fear our God is is bigger and better. Um, mm. But it's like hidden in, in the language. You wouldn't, you wouldn't notice it on an English reading really at all. Yeah. Yeah. Different translations will, will translate it differently. But, but if you, if you have one, you know, like a, I don't know, an ESV or an NIV or something like that, not a paraphrase, then it will, it will still retain some of those, those elements. Mm, yeah. Cool. So this idea of the cosmic conflict, once you, is it, is, so it's kind of, it's the sort of thing that, once you see the big full picture of it in Revelation, you then go back and you sort of pick up hints of it everywhere. It becomes almost like a bit of a lens that you read the Bible through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It, it is a worldview. It is a lens uh, through which to understand Scripture and to understand our reality today as well. Because, uh, you know, if, if you don't um, believe that there is some... Um, some some kind of evil, whether that's a, a personal kind of evil um, or even an abstract one, then then it's going to be really difficult for you to make sense of the world. You know, how do you explain horrific things like what what happened in World War Two? You know, with Auschwitz, for instance, you can't just point to that and say, "Oh, that's natural evil." You know, that was just that was just a bunch of bad people. Mm. Um, no, no one, I think, would be naive enough to say that today, especially if you go and read the testimonies of, of some of what went on there. Um, and, and I think that that's been quite a pivotal moment in, in modern history, uh, looking at what happened there. Um, just the, it's demonic. There's no other way, even if you don't believe in God or angels, that's still the only appropriate language uh, that we can use to describe the atrocities uh, of what went on there. Uh, so you, you need to be able to fit that in somewhere. And I think that the biblical worldview um, it explains that better than other worldviews, like a, a naturalistic worldview or deterministic worldview. Mm, so we're modern people. And in many ways, I think we're kind of brainwashed by those, like you just mentioned, the naturalistic or the deterministic worldview. If I was to poll, you know, 10 random people on the street and ask them about their worldview, I would say that, I don't know. I, I would I would probably guess that most people would probably not think about the world in terms of 
good versus evil or, you know, us versus them or one power or military force versus another way. But when I read the Bible, it was obviously not written in a, in a modern context. It was written in a very ancient context. Was this the prevailing worldview for the cultures that penned the Bible or perhaps surrounded the authors of the Bible? Yep. Yeah, definitely. And again, we, we're unique in the West um, because it's only been in the last couple of hundred years that we've kind of had this secular worldview develop where, you know, because of the, um, you know, the technological revolution and the enlightenment and all the other things that went along with that, we thought, you know, we, we can explain the world. Um, we don't have to believe in all of this other, you know, weird uh, stuff. Um, spiritual stuff we can explain it by science um, but but again we, we're kind of the oddballs um, in the west for, for, for believing that because even today if you visit other cultures you know they, they're quite aware of um, the, the supernatural realm that exists uh, and and they're quite in tune with that uh, and and I don't think you know it's it's it should be too difficult for us um, in the west to to, to understand, you know, if, because if we're going to think that we're an advanced culture, if you just stop and think about all of the radio stations and songs that are flying through your body right now, as we speak, or the television stations that are, you know, floating around in your room or, you know what I mean? The, the internet signals and the cell phone calls, all of that stuff. That's a real, um, that's a real dimension. Mm, the five right? because waves. If, if, yeah, because if you've got the right receptors to, to pick them up, you can tune into that. So, mm. you know, I, I think in some ways being in a technologically advanced society that we are, we, we can look at that and say, well, it's actually not much of a step to, to go from understanding that that invisible realm exists to something else, that there are other personal beings, uh, spiritual beings um, that exist. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I haven't thought about, yeah, I guess... I haven't thought about it in terms of like the the radio waves and all that kind of stuff. When you have eyes, t- if you had eyes to see it, your entire room would look like a mess, you know, to see all the signals <laughs> and stuff going around. Yeah. But because we don't have eyes to see it, it doesn't bother us. And then we just get annoyed that, you know, ah, oh, my Wi-Fi dropped out. What the heck? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But really, like, there's so much going on. And well, yeah, like, we, it's, we get angry it's like when it Siri. affects us a little bit. It's like Siri, you know, like most of us think about Siri as kind of like this personified, you know, automated human companion assistant. And yet she exists, <laughs> he, she, whatever exists entirely on the internet, which is, you know, a strange thing to think about a person or a thing, not fully conscious, but yet conscious in some sense that exists on only a digital platform and nowhere else mm. i just thought she was an elf living in my phone <laughs> but that's nice to know it's like <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting skynet vibes right now <laughs> sort of sort of thing okay so so ben if we were to try and if, if i'm a modern person and i'm struggling to think about this cosmic conflict worldview but i want to start constructing it in my mind to help me see the world where would I start in terms of trying to build this worldview? 
That's a really good question. Um, I, I don't even know where to start because it would depend on the person. Um, if, if you've already got a belief in God, uh, well, that helps. Um, if you're completely secular, then you'd probably want to, yeah, come okay, at well, it from a, well, a different well, perspective. Well, let's say, let's say that I'm a Christian person, but I'm a modern mm -hmm. Christian person and I'm trying to understand it, but I'm struggling to see the world through this, through this lens. Let's, let's just assume that. Yeah. So I, um, apart from experiences that people have that, that might, you know, if you come across a person who's, you know, spiritually possessed or, or you know, that kind of thing, aside from that kind of phenomena, um, what I would do is probably go back to the, the most basic point, And that is to, first of all, start with, uh, how the Bible describes God himself. So, uh, you know, the, the Bible describes, uh, God in many different ways. There are many different names for God. Um, but, but the one that, that seems to be, uh, well, let me put it this way. There are three nouns that are used to describe God, everything else adjectives. So God is righteous as an adjective. God is holy as an adjective. God is uh, sovereign as an adjective, but there are three nouns, um, that are used to describe God. Uh, God is light. God is life and God is love. And the God is love one is, is really the central one, I think, because this is not saying that, you know, God is loving or love is one of God's many attributes, but that he is love personified. You know, God, God is a noun love before he's a verb. Um, and so if you, if you start from that and then you work out and you say, well, in order for love to exist, there has to be freedom. Love has to be freely given and freely received. Um, so therefore everything that exists in the universe and this world that, that is created by God, who is love, um, it follows that each creature, therefore, in order to give and receive love has to also be a free moral agent, mm. right? Because as soon as you put force into the equation, as soon as you coerce someone, love evaporates, mm. it, it can't exist anymore. So, so love has to have the freedom to say yes or no. So that then creates the risk. Uh, because you're going to have creatures who are going to say yes, and you're going to have creatures who say no. Um, and, and you're not the one to control that because as soon as you step in and try and control it, then as we say, love evaporates, love can no longer exist. So I think that sets up um, quite an important foundational belief that we have and, and everything we believe should come back to God being love. Everything else that we believe should be an expression of that. Mm. Um, so when, when, when we understand that and then when we turn to scripture, we can see that, well, actually there, there are other gods. There are these, um, spiritual beings called angels. And then there's also human beings, um, which tells us that God's will is not the only one that exists in the universe. Mm. Mm. Um, it means that there are other wills that are at work and those wills can be opposed to God's will. What do you and mean many, by, what do you mean by other gods? Uh, like how would you how would you describe that? Well, well the spiritual beings, yeah. The, the Bible uses different labels for them. Can call them other gods. Um, can call them demons. Uh, Paul likes to use the phrase principalities and powers, uh, which is a phrase I also like. Um, yeah. So th these are different ways of using language to try and attempt to describe what's taking place in that unseen realm. But every now and then, you know, th there are clear examples of where we see that realm, you know, things like World War II. And then we, you know, maybe have personal experiences where we've seen some really weird stuff happen. 
um, to, to share a personal story. When I was um, doing some mission work with some friends at college uh, in the Middle East, we, we'd been traveling through the Middle East and we came uh, to Egypt, which was our last stop to do a week of prayer with the students at, um, at an academy there, a high school there. And we had a great time. There were 22 decisions for baptism. It was the last night, you know, we were just so happy, you know, about, you know, the, the decisions that had been made and wanted to just celebrate that and also get on the plane and, you know, come home and see our families because we've been away for a month. And then the last night, someone had broken to the place where we were staying and stole all our stuff, like as in, you know, our important stuff, cameras, laptops, um, phones, and they stole my whole travel bag, which had my passport. Yeah. So I, I was stuck in Egypt while my three friends left me. Um, choose your friends wisely. <laughs> no, no. I've, I've, I've forgiven them since then. They had to go back. Um, so, so I was stuck there and I had to go to the embassy and try, you know, file a police report uh, the next day. All my friends were flying off back to Australia. So um, on our way to the embassy, we're on the, the freeway and they don't have any waste management system in Egypt. And so there's just like piles of rubbish on the side of the highways. And there was a van that, that came up on the inside of, of the taxi that we were in that hit a pile of rubbish and barrel rolled um, right on top of our taxi. Whoa. And you don't stop when stuff like that happens over there. You just keep going. And so we just kept going. And so that was a little bit unnerving. Uh, and then there were some other experiences that day as well. Um, and then long story short, finally got uh, my emergency travel document that allowed me to, to leave Egypt and, and get back to Australia and then from Australia back to New Zealand. Um, but then as, as the, I was being dropped off at the airport, our, bone, uh, our, bone, our car got T-boned uh, in the car park uh just before i was about to get on the plane and and at that moment i thought man I, it's like someone's trying to kill me yeah. um and and it was the first time in my life where i just thought well there, there is something going on behind the scenes because there are just too many things that can't be considered unfortunate circumstances or you know unfortunate coincidences uh, you know because how many of those have to happen before you just admit the fact well something must be going on here um, so needless to say, I was very relieved to get on the plane and get out of there. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that was something for me that it was just like, well, there is something going on here and, and you know, I need to take this seriously. Mm. Well, wow. It's like too, yeah, too much to just be natural, I guess. And just yeah. to be coincidences, it's mm. definitely, yeah, that's definitely to another level, all that. That's crazy. <laughs> mm, yeah, it was crazy. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think it's definitely... Like, I really appreciate Paul's um, identification of principalities and powers because I, you know, often when I think of the spiritual realm and I think of, like, Jesus's miracles and demon possession, I think of, like, these uncontrollable, wild, um, no rhyme or reason sort of beings that just want to cause pain and suffering. And perhaps that's true to a certain extent. But I think the interesting thing, like what you've just illustrated, is there is an evil intent behind it there is there is somebody that is pulling the strings perhaps or at least manipulating and and playing around with human emotions and human actions to achieve some sort of end goal and that's in a way that's a lot more scary <laughs> so it definitely sets up when you think about that like in i guess in your situation it definitely would have in your mind reinforced the idea of well 
somebody's against me, so I I need something to counteract to defend myself against this, or otherwise I'm just gonna be am I am I just being thrown to the wind here, like, you know, uncontrollably is somebody just doing things to me and I can't do anything back? Like, how does that fit with the one side versus the other side cosmic conflict sort of sort of idea? Yeah, you, you definitely feel the heat of the war and we're often caught in the crossfire um, between what's going on in the spiritual realm. Yeah, no question about that. Sometimes it's more intense than others for whatever reasons, you know, and that's beyond our understanding. You know, that, that's Job's question throughout his experience. God, why is this happening? You know, and God turns up at the end of the book and he says, well, you, you know, you know next to nothing about what's going on behind the scenes, you know, so, so just be content because some things will always remain a mystery. Um, to, to us as human beings. Yeah. Um, so what, what was your question again? Sorry, I've just forgotten. So how how do mid- we respond to it? Yeah, what, so if, if, we're, if we're up against, if we're caught in the middle of a cosmic conflict, what hope, what defense do we have in the midst of, of all of it? Yeah, we have we have massive hope, um, and and maybe um, the Book of Revelation brings us out the clearest. Um, it talks about this Lamb uh, that has been slain, and it says that this Lamb that has been slain has triumphed. So God God has overcome the war uh, that happened at the cross. There's still a sense in which we're living between um, what do they say D Day and V Day. Mm-hmm. Um, we're living in this in between time where you know the, the war has been won, but the battle continues for a little while longer, um, and so we're now caught in this in between time. Um, so as, as soon as we choose to um, align ourselves with the slain lamb. And, and we can chat about that maybe a little bit more about how God engages in this warfare, um, th- then we're on the winning side. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer persecution. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer um, all kinds of other things, but it just means that our lives are safe in God's keeping so that no matter what happens, um, we, we're already victorious because we're united with him. We're on the winning team. Mm, that's cool. I like this because when I think about it, right, even the most secular people draw connections between events. I mean, even just being on Reddit and I watched a video the like a, a video the other day of a guy who he robbed a shop and then he ran outside and in his panic he like ran into a pole or something. I think I can't remember. He tri- anyway he he came down and got arrested, and everyone was like, "Ha! Huh, he got what's coming to him." And you're like, "Oh, so you actually draw a you know an association between what happened to him and what he did? Like there is actually." They, they draw meaning between it. And so, I think it's cool because I think it, it, it reassures everybody that, yeah, there is actually meaning between events. And the best part is that, like, what you're bringing it to is that there's actually a positive meaning behind it and that they, is that the war is won already and you have nothing to fear. So, like, you don't have to fear this. You're not imagining it. You can be on a reassuring and winning side of all this meaning that we're drawing between all these things happening. Mm, absolutely. I love Ephesians 2. Well, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. If you read those two chapters together, Ephesians 1 talks about um, Paul's writing this letter and he's talking about all the wonderful things uh, that, that have been achieved in Jesus. Um, and then if you read chapter 2, it, many of those same things that are ascribed to Jesus are also ascribed to his followers. Um, and, and I love it in chapter two. I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but it says we're already seated in heavenly places mm. with Jesus. 
you know, which is just such a, a beautiful image of, of victory. So, so we're there already, you know, if we're united in him. Mm. Um, so, so we, yeah, we don't need to fear um, when, when, when we go through the valleys, when we you know, suffer from whatever we might be going through, whether it's a terminal illness, uh, the loss of a loved one. Um, yeah. We, we know that God actually feels what we feel, uh, which is another comforting thing. And Revelation brings us out quite clearly in, in chapter four and five. Um, the, what, what happens here on earth is also felt in heaven hmm. because the, this, this war that, that we're facing, the spiritual war here on earth is also a war that heaven is engaged in as well. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I, uh, I think we'll take a quick break and then I'd like to really dive into some of that about thinking about yeah how god interacts with all this too Um, okay so we'll be right back something you said before i'm just uh, curious about you talked about and this is obviously imagery that goes throughout the entire scripture the idea of the slain lamb and how jesus wins victory as a slain lamb um throughout throughout the whole of the, the biblical narrative we see this you know from very early on and 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 uh you know sacrifice and all that sort of thing but one of the things that i've always found a little bit confusing like if i'm thinking about i'm aligning myself with a spiritual power that is powerful enough to overcome whatever principality and power and darkness um, is against that wouldn't i want to be on the side of a power that is more like well like a lion, like Jesus is described as the lion of Judah. Why would I want to align myself with the lamb rather than the the lion? Great question. Because we have certain ideas when it comes to warfare, right? We, we think, you know, whoever has the biggest bombs wins. Um, whoever's got the biggest muscles, whoever's got the biggest guns. Uh, and so sometimes when, when we turn to scripture, we, we bring that with us and we think, oh, you know, God's the biggest and the strongest and the best. So he's, he's going to win by default. But actually when you read through the unfolding story of scripture, particularly in the new Testament, it catches us completely by surprise that the way that God engages in this war is just, it, it, it's so counterintuitive. Uh, it's not something that you could make up. Um, so you mentioned the slain lamb idea. Yeah. So if, if we, we find that particularly in revelation chapter five, so there's the situation where there, there's the scroll that seems to contain the purposes of God, uh, that no one in the universe is worthy to open. And so John's there in vision and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps because no one can open the scroll. But then someone says, no, someone is worthy. And the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to come for, you know, he has prevailed, he has triumphed. And so John hears that. But then when he turns to see, he sees the slain lamb. And, and the word that's used there for slain is not sacrificial slain. It's slaughtered, it's slaughtered lamb. Uh, it's, it's, it's murderous kind of imagery that's going on here. Um, and, and that just completely messes with our mind because, yeah, like you say, we want a warrior. You know, we want this ferocious, you know, lion-like figure. Um, but the way that God engages in this war is actually by laying down his life. He, he overcomes not by shedding the blood of others, but by shedding his own blood, uh, which is just amazing. Um, and, and, and so this is the way God wins. Uh, he, he does it that way. He does it through the, the revelation of his self-giving love. Hmm. Um, so he, he wins by the, the power of self-sacrifice rather than the power of you know, 
uh, stomping out his enemies um, and destroying them that way. That's that's very much a mind bender <laughs> for me, <laughs> as well as I'm sure for a lot of people, because a lot of the times when I read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, I read it like, okay, God's here and he's got a big stick. And yeah, the enemies are here and they've got sticks, but ultimately God is the biggest, baddest, most powerful superhero that there ever was. And so, like, we even have that in our culture of, you know, God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do sort of thing. And we always think, well, okay, there's bad guys and there's evil people, but ultimately God's behind me. He's big, he's powerful, and he's just going to stomp them into the ground. So to take that paradigm and to just completely twist it on its head, what are we, how are we supposed to interpret, you know, different passages of scripture when it comes to this, this, this worldview? Yeah. It's got to start with Jesus. Ultimately, um, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. So therefore it's got to start there. Um, and so when we look at the life of Jesus and the way that he engaged in the cosmic conflict, you know, there are many occasions where Jesus is casting out demons. They talk back to him and they say, Hey, we know who you are. Um, and he tells them to be quiet and, and sends them on their way. Um, and, and then there are other healings as well. Um, thinking of the example is Luke 13, I think where there's this woman who's, who's been bent over, um, for, for 18 years and, and Jesus comes to her and it's a Sabbath day. And, you know, the religious leaders are like, are you going to, are you really going to do this on the Sabbath? You're going to heal someone. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding? This is what the day's about. Um, and, and then he says, you know, this is, this is the day to loose people from their burdens, you know, to set people free. You know, here's this woman who has been bound by Satan he says for 18 years, you know, he's going to set her free. And, and there are numerous passages when Peter's summarizing Jesus ministry in um, Acts 10, um, he, he says, you know, Jesus went around doing good and healing people and setting people free who are living under the power of Satan. Uh, so it, it's got to start with Jesus. Um, and, and so when, when we come across these troubling passages in the old Testament, um, yeah, but they are difficult to reconcile because it seems like there's a different God in the Old Testament who's got this big stick. Um, and then when Jesus comes, it's a very different kind of God. But, but there, are, there are ways into that. Um, but but you've, you've got to start with Jesus and say, well, how did Jesus engage in warfare? Um, everything has to be measured by that criteria. Hmm. The, the slain seems, lamb. It almost seems to me that maybe is God trying to lure us in using language that we know and then subverting that to completely <laughs> knock us off our trying to, you know, unseat everything that we know and we think is right and true and practical. Yeah. It's the principle God meets people where they are. Um, and so I think we, we see a lot of that coming through in the old Testament, you know, w w when it came to, you know, Israel inheriting the promised land, well, as far as all of the nations then were concerned, the only way that you would inherit someone else's land is you'd go on and wipe them out. Um, but there are already hints, uh, interesting, this is a different topic, but in the Old Testament, um, there, there are hints uh, in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy where God says, you know, I'm going to drive your enemies out by sending the hornet. I'm going to send, you know, there are going to be wild animals there. You know, the, the land is going to vomit them out. So already there are hints there that, you know, that didn't necessarily require this picture of a bloody battle um, and a warrior God, that, that God was able to use other means by which um, to, to 
remove those people so that um, his people could inherit the land. Uh, yeah, so, so, so there are glimpses here and there throughout the Old Testament. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's very clear. We, we need to see, well, how does Jesus engage in this conflict? He engages in this conflict by coming to heal people, um, by setting people free, and then ultimately by laying down his own life. And by doing that, that's how he, he wins the, the war. Mm. which is completely opposite because for us it's like the one who's the winner at the end of the day the one who's alive excuse me is the winner the one who's dead is the loser Um, whereas this is just completely flipped on its head and it's like well the one who died um you know he's the one who death the bible says death couldn't keep its hold on him um because his power of love broke the bonds of death and um he burst forth the other side of the grave Mm. yeah and i like, I mean, you see any movie and the hero is always the one with, like, the biggest body count or something, you know what I mean? Like, you're watching, watching like, Lord of the Rings or something and there's, like, um, Legolas and Gimli the whole time and they're just comparing, like, oh, how many of you killed today? That sort of thing. And I think... <laughs> That's yeah, we did, we, counts as one. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have that same um, thing. It's like, oh, like, how, how many is God... I don't know, is Jesus conquering? And it's, it's funny, like, in the same way, it is everything... But at the same time, he did it through different means. So it's, yeah, it does it does mess with your mind a little bit. I guess um, what I'm wondering then is this idea of cosmic conflict, it's still happening today. Is Jesus still engaged in it today? And is he engaged in it in the same way? Yeah, that, that's asking, well, what, what are we doing? How, how do we, you know, is Jesus just gone on a holiday somewhere um, and he's not involved? No, I, I think he's very much involved and, and Revelation makes that clear. The connection between heaven and earth is, is super close. You know, there's really only a thin veil between God's space and our space in, in that sense. And Jesus is the one who who is the bridge between these, these two realms. Um, yeah, so thinking in terms of, uh, um, you know, Jesus um, has sent the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us, energizes us um, for, for engaging in the conflict. Jesus as well um, in the prayer that he gave us uh, says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven, which again goes back to the free will thing. You know, if we've got to pray for God's will to be done on earth, as it is in heaven. And that's implying that God's will is not always carried out on earth because there are other wills at work behind the scenes, you know, sometimes for our good and sometimes, you know, uh, opposed to anything that, that um, God wants to achieve. So yeah, prayer is a big factor in this because uh, whenever we're praying, um, we're inviting God's presence. We're inviting his kingdom to reign in the situation that we're praying for, whether it's for ourselves or for someone else. Um, so, so things genuinely do hang on whether we pray or not. Uh, that's an important thing when it comes to this conflict worldview, because if, if you have, as, as many of our Christian brothers and sisters do, this idea that God is in control of everything and God has already predetermined everything, then that causes you to live a life of resignation. Like, mm. because, you know, I can just sit back and it doesn't really matter what happens because it's, it's God's will anyway. Whereas if we see that we are in the middle of a battle, that we are free moral agents and God is actually inviting us into this. He's saying, you know, I'm going to give you my armor. I'm going to give you my spirit. The victory is already won. Um, 
then then we're called to engage in this warfare. You know, we're, we're to to revolt, so to speak, against the kingdom of darkness. Um, whether we see that in social situations, whether we see that you know with people that are suffering um, illnesses or whatever, um, spiritual as well. You know, in all of these different um, aspects of life. Uh, there, there seems to be some spiritual dimension behind it. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a demon behind every headache, you know, and you, you want to go you know, <laughs> exercise the, the demon next time you have a headache. It's, it's not yeah. quite like that. Um, but we just know that, that, that those wills that are opposed to God have impacted creation and corrupted in such a way that, that we experience that fallout. It's almost like there's like there's different levels of it. There's like those things like when you were talking about with, with your trip in Egypt, like you actually started to notice after a while, okay, there is a pattern here. And then it almost seems like there's like a more subtle level where it's like, okay, society has been influenced, people have been influenced, you know, groups and and cultures have been influenced to go to a certain direction, even though they aren't exactly cognizant or perhaps it's, it's that we don't really recognize that it's happened until it's it's too late perhaps maybe maybe it's like there's different levels and layers of of that spiritual warfare from the very obvious to maybe the more subversive almost what clandestine i i don't know if that's the right the right term to use i don't even know what that word means <laughs> like like spies and like you know oh. undercover agents and like you know influencing elections or i don't know whatever <laughs> yeah, whatever strategies we see in movies and stuff, um, you know, you, you can multiply that out because, you know, if you've got these spiritual beings that, you know, are just as intelligent, if not more intelligent than we are, then they're going to use any means possible. Uh, and, and people often ask, well, why don't we see demon possessions and healings and stuff like that in, in the modern world like they used to, uh, you know, back in those days? I, I think you know, the, the, the strategy has perhaps changed. I don't think that Satan and the powers of darkness need to, to take that kind of approach anymore. All they need to do is get people sitting down in front of the TV for four hours a day, you know, or, or watching YouTube for four hours a day and, you know, doing things like that where, where they're just being constantly, their minds are being rewired, you know, according to the, um, the philosophies and, and, you know, beliefs of this world. Uh, that's why Paul says in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed, you know, which is another core aspect of, of our responsibility in this battle. Um, yeah, which I think are far more effective ways, because if you can just simply neutralize the church's um, and Christian's engagement um, in the cosmic war, then, you know, you won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've almost seen it as it seems like the enemy effort now is to make people almost indifferent to, yeah. to God, like unto spirituality yeah. or just to make them, you know, even, well, like the fact that we even question the existence of God, whereas in other nations, they have no question about the existence of supernatural. Whereas here, we're like, oh, is there anything supernatural? But if you're looking hard enough, you see it here as well. Like there are a lot of supernatural things that happen in Western world, but... Um, often, yeah, that's the thing. Our eyes are glued, our attention is fixed somewhere else so we don't actually notice it and then we complain that it doesn't happen because we don't notice it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting loop. Yeah. Um, I think one of the go-tos that people often talk about when uh, talk about talking about spiritual warfare and we would be remiss not to 
at least address it is um, Ephesians and putting on the whole armor of God. Um, how do you see that paradigm in the midst of this conflict worldview? Yeah, super important. Uh, so Paul's writing, uh, we've already mentioned Ephesians at the beginning. So if this is now at the end of it, chapter six. Um, so Paul's in prison and I, I like to get a little bit romantic in my imagination or maybe colorful is the right word. You know, Paul's there possibly under house arrest and he's probably got a soldier standing there that he can mm -hmm. see. Uh, and so as he's thinking about wrapping up his letter to the Ephesians and the Ephesians were really worried about spiritual powers because Ephesus was kind of a, a real spiritual hub in the ancient world. They had the temple of Diana. There was a lot of magic and dark arts and other things. So these, these believers were, were struggling with, with the things that we were, chat, were chatting about today. And so Paul's like, how am I going to end this letter? And so he sees the Roman soldier, whether he's in the room or he's just outside the house and he, he says, all right, I got it. And so then he starts to describe the armor that the soldier's wearing, but he he transforms it and he's actually picking up imagery from isaiah and he's saying you know put on the whole armor of god so this is not your armor that you put on this is the armor that god supplies you which is the first thing that, that we need to keep in mind because you know we can go out and try and think we're going to fight on our own and think we all got it together um but we need god's armor and then he goes oh. through and he just starts listing the different the different pieces of the the armor and talks about you know how these are important in the war the helmet of salvation the belt of truth the shield of faith um all of that and and the the uh, the only offensive weapon um that uh, he describes is the sword which he says is the sword of the spirit which is the word of god uh, which is very interesting so you know, when we're engaging in, in the conflict, it's important for us to remember that the way we wage war needs to be the same way that Jesus wages war. And that is through speaking the truth about who God is um, and, and being willing to, to lay down your life uh, as he did. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, really important to, to meditate on that. Like, um, yeah, the, the Ephesians 6 is just powerful. Mm. So it's something that we should constantly go back to and, and maybe something that we should include as part of our daily prayers when we wake up each day you know god i'm choosing to put on your armor today mm. Mm. was it was it when we were sorry josh was it when we were speaking last week you talked about how in revelation is it 19 jesus also uses the sword in a different way that using that same sort of imagery yeah, in Revelation, as you've alluded to earlier, um, the, the, this imagery, John will take a violent symbol and he'll completely subvert it um, and its meaning. So, um, yeah, in, in Revelation, Jesus is never pictured as wielding the sword in his hand. Um, the sword is portrayed as coming out of his mouth. And so that's the way he wages warfare, by speaking truth. Um yeah, and and there are, there are many other examples in Revelation where where the images are, are completely flipped, like the lion and the lamb image we mentioned um, mm -hmm. earlier in our discussion. You know, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I I like that. Like our warfare is to speak God's truth over something. You know, like that's. That's how, that's, I mean, that's how Jesus wages, but it's also how we're given invitation. Like when Jesus was um, being tempted, like he just fought that off by quoting, quoting the, quoting the scriptures really. Uh, and I guess in the same way, that's how we, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Both defend ourselves, but also <clears throat> how we bring, I don't know, like 
bring down things that are coming against us is like to speak truth over it. Like God, it's not even our wit and philosophy. It's about, oh no, it's actually just God's truth into this, which again is a bit counterintuitive. Like it doesn't come from our own strength. It comes from God's word. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, which is cool. So are there, I, okay. I, I just want to think like in daily, in daily prayers, um, praying over the armor of God daily, um, could be an important thing for somebody. Are there any other things you can think of that could be important in this? Maybe like practical prayers to be praying on a whatever regular basis. I don't know. <laughs> Not necessarily daily for everybody, but it depends on the season, obviously. But um, mm. yeah, important things to keep in mind and to be praying over, like some powerful words to be speaking. Yeah. Yeah. As I said before, the Lord's prayer is, is central um, mm. and interesting that that's one of the first things Jesus mentions, you know, um, you know, um, uh, that, that we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. Um, and that needs to start in our own lives. So that's important because that, that's a prayer that's saying, Lord, you know, I'm surrendering to you. I, I want to be used by you to advance your kingdom today in whatever circumstances I find myself in. Yeah. So, so praying for the armor, you know, mentally just going through that in our minds, you know, what, what does each of these pieces of armor represent for me? How is that going to look today? Um, praying that God's will be done. Um, and especially if we're interceding on behalf of others, you know, being aware that um, it's not God's will that, you know, you're, I don't know, your, your cousin has cancer. It's not God's will that, you know, some other person is suffering in this way. So praying into that and saying, God, you know, please, you know, on the authority of Jesus, be present there, um, you know, and, and claim Romans 8, 28, um, you know, that, that, that promise has often become a cliche, but it's important to understand, especially in this context, um, because it's saying, um, it doesn't, well, let me say what it's not saying. Uh, the, the verse is not saying that God is behind everything that happens, right. you know, and God is going to make good come out of everything that happens. That's the way it's often been read. Instead, what it's saying is that in all things, God is able to work to bring about good for those who love him. Mm. So it's quite an, a subtle, but a hugely important theological difference there. Um, that there are other wills that uh, at work in the world, um, including our own. And sometimes decisions we make, decisions others have made, um, we suffer the consequences of them. But God's promise to us in Romans 8.28 is that no matter how bad the situation might be, God in his infinite wisdom and love and grace is able to somehow bring good mm. out of that dark situation. It's, mm. like, um, it's like what you were talking about before. It's not like God is calling us to live a life of resignation that... In all things, God is just going to do His will, but rather it's an mm -hmm. invitation to to participate in what God wants yeah. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we have to invite God in. Um, we can try and fight our battles on our own, but it's, that's suicide, <laughs> mm. um, physically and spiritually, if we're going to do it that way. You know, <laughs> yeah. God's like, here, you know, come. Uh, I've, I've, I've won the war. You know, come, come in and experience life and joy and peace. Um, because that other fella, you know, that, that other kingdom um, that's out there, Jesus summarizes it well, I think, in John 10, where he says that, you know, he's only out to kill and steal and destroy. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so we are coming to the end of our time. But um, if, if somebody is listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, really good stuff, 
Um, if I was to summarize what this worldview uh, looks like for me and how I'm supposed to live this out in the world, what would you say to that person would be that concise-ish summary of what the cosmic conflict, what does that actually look like? And then how is that, how does that cause me to live my life if I'm living within that framework? I'll try to do it as concisely as possible. Make it a um, mnemonic device. Nah, kidding. <laughs> um, you're good at coming up with those. So, <laughs> um, uh, so um, basically, that, that God is love. God is love, and He has created this world. He has created us. He's created this universe um, with the ability to be able to choose. Um, to freely receive and to freely give love. Um, so we have a responsibility and uh, the, that tells us that there's more than one will that's at work in the world, in the universe. And so therefore that opens us up to the possibilities of maybe some of the bad stuff that's happening is not God's will, but the result of somebody else's will that's at odds with God, that's opposed to God. Um, so therefore that leaves me as the individual with the most important choice I could ever make which side of this conflict do I want to be on? And do I want to uh, be on the winning side, not just because it's the winning side, but because we see that this, this is the side that actually um, promises love and joy and eternal peace uh, with God, um, you know, through that love, that, that, that self-sacrificial love, which, which is expressed in no greater way than what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Um, and, and that alone, you know, should be enough to draw us to um to want to be part of of what god is doing um and then as when we make that decision to be part of um that side of the conflict then we have the incredible privilege of advancing god's kingdom through praying through um evangelism through reaching out um in, in all of those different ways um, of being able to invite others as well to to join this this eternal kingdom mm. Mm. Oh, that's such a good summary. It's so tight. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> uh, awesome. I think, uh, yeah, I'm. Thank you so much, Ben. This has been. I'm. I really. I reckon this has been really helpful. Um, because as we know, the great controversy. It's been something talked about, like since the origins of Adventism. Really, it feels like. Um, and so, for us, I know if people who've grown up in the Adventist Church, it can become something that, I don't know. When you hear something talked about all the time, it doesn't it sort of loses a bit of its excitement and grit. Um, but I think today will have been really helpful for people to, um, I guess, revitalize their, their view of the great controversy and its relevance, this idea of the cosmic conflict. Um, but I guess, yeah, just to finish off as well, do you have any like anything to say for those of us who've grown up with this worldview and maybe it's fallen a little bit by the wayside, not has been, I don't know, not, not very exciting anymore or something that, just some last words to that particular crowd. The, the great controversy is not just a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for many people in the Adventist tradition, it's it's a book that was written by one of our pioneers, you know, over a hundred years ago, uh, and that's the way that it's referred to. But it's much more than that. Um, it's 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 a worldview, you know, and and that's why for me, I prefer to use the the terminology conflict cosmic. Uh, yeah, the, the cosmic conflict, excuse me. And, and also, you know, um, if, if you want to make it even a little bit more pop culture-ish, I, I refer to it as the real Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
all the Star Wars films and, and every other film with this conflict between good and evil traces its source back to something. Um, and I believe it's this, this cosmic warfare that's been going on um, since, since the beginning of time. Mm. Yeah. So, so I would say don't, don't think of the great controversy just as a book, uh, although it's a brilliant book. Um, and, and Ellen White kind of traces through this conflict from the time of Jesus to the end of time during the Christian age. So it's well worth reading. Um, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a worldview in, in which we're called to, to participate in and, um, yeah, be part of, be part of advancing God's kingdom. Mm, awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, that was awesome. I love that episode. Thank you so much. And, um, we would love to hear your thoughts, everybody. So uh, make sure you send us a message. Best way to contact us, find all things Burn the Haystack, is of course burnthehaystack.org. Uh, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to Burn the Haystack. Um, I find that I only really listen to the podcast that I'm subscribed to. So if you like what you hear, smash that subscribe button and uh, or listen to us on, on YouTube, which you can also subscribe to. Leave us a like, whatever. Uh, and if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, uh, leave a rating or review on the podcatching app of your choice. Thank you. Absolutely. And something I should have mentioned at the start of this episode, but maybe Jesse can edit this into the start or something. I don't know. Um, we actually have Why merch now. Burn the Haystack Yay. has merch. So, um, yeah, go and check out the merch store too. There'll be links and stuff to that too. All right. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Stay awesome. That is Josh, Jesse, and Ben 